perfection. disarray and the only way to control it is by enacting a series of games that allow people to let out their aggression and eventually they realize that they're being subjugated and controlled by society yeah yeah you're listening to last refuge of the incompetent <laughs> and this is a show about sci-fi and stuff, and my name is Gaul. My name is Moses. My name is Dad. Is this week only about the purge? Is that the entire topic for this week? <laughs> yeah, no, it's about games. It's about gaming and games. And I brought on two amazing special guests for this because I might have mentioned this before, but I think seven out of the eight people that I play D&D with have been on the show now, and two of them are on the show now. That was a weird way to say that. Um, <laughs> what does now <laughs> seven mean? Seven out of eight people are not on the show right now. <laughs> anyway, we got we got Jamie and Liz. You guys want to say hi? Hi. Hello. Liz is our is my um is the DM, the dungeon master of our of our D and D campaign, and Jamie plays like a weird guy that's really into building robots and stuff we made them watch a bunch of movies about games and we're going to talk about games with them games uh, and sci-fi yeah right yeah for the new for the new listener and i'm sure we get <laughs> dozens of new listeners every week it's a, it's a speculative fiction show we'll play some music too what do we put on the docket this for this week tron i read that culture novel player of games the running man the dance move no, no, <laughs> not the dance move. It's just two hours, two hours of the dance move. That's it. <laughs> yeah, just someone explaining that someone's doing the running man over and over again. It's what the people want. <laughs> hey! <laughs> anyway, let's talk about music. So I think the one thing that I thought about, which is obvious, is music directly from video games and there's a lot of them. But as a person who, uh oh, does not play video games, I, I, I just found some lists. And I'm going to make Ted sort through them. <laughs> yeah, there's a few good soundtracks um, though, on those lists that I already have. Uh, one that's not that I'll probably put in there is the soundtrack to Fez by Disasterpiece, who also did the soundtrack to the film It Follows. What's Fez? Uh, yeah, it's a game about being a little marshmallow man who lives in the second dimension and then like learns that there's a third. It's kind of Definitely almost fits flatland. into the our Flatland discussion from a math episode. My husband said to me today... Or the other day he said you know what you gotta do is you gotta reference past episodes in your <laughs> in your show we do that so yeah we do that so good work good work moses you gotta um, establish continuity with the past yeah yep. now our audience is just gonna be thirsting to check out our back catalog mm-hmm. curiosity on lastrefugepod.com i mean it's a wealthy catalog <laughs> dare i say a plethora oh wow mm-hmm. you, you said it <laughs> mm. I'm kicking myself because I have uh, a bunch of friends who were music majors and work in the music field, and this question would be perfect for them. Oh, that's okay. Um, I, I tend to be, as far as video games go, uh, I tend to be an avid uh, spectator. So I really like, I really enjoy like when people like Skyrim or The Wild, um, games like that. It's so soothing for me to watch other people run around and fall off cliffs and get killed by monsters. I'll definitely also be playing some of the soundtrack from Tron by Wendy Carlos. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Rollerball yeah. also has an odd soundtrack by Andre Previn. Mike Myers' mi- fake band from Austin <laughs> oh, Powers is named after something <laughs> from uh, yeah. the Tenth Victim. So maybe, maybe one that of those. That was songs. one of the when I was a kid. I don't remember when Austin Powers came out, but when it came out, I went and I bought the soundtrack to Austin Powers. <laughs> it was one of the few like CDs that I listened to on the regular. So in Sense and Peppermint all of the time. <laughs> Anyway, the the tenth victim, the yeah, the main kind of song that keeps coming up in that movie is a fun little pop song. I mean, it's a kind of a sci-fi ish dystopian movie, but it's a comedy also. And so, uh, I think that song on the on the soundtrack there captures the mood of that movie perfectly. Deepest pool of deepest blue shall swim to you. Morning never waits for you, shall wait for you. You're listening to the the podcast edit of Last Refuge of the Incompetence. What does that mean? Well, that means that all that lovely music that we curate for the radio that fits the theme perfectly and is eclectic and interesting and wonderful to listen to has to be edited out and if you don't care then keep listening but if you do care check us out on mixcloud the full unedited show can be found there don't know how to find that just go to lastrefugepod.com lastrefugepod.com all the information you need can be found accessed okay So I've told you about Cyberpunk that it came out yesterday. Yeah, I've been I've been playing it, and they have a very sick soundtrack, and it's they have like a lot of good artists that make them, but everything's like very much in the whole. I don't want to say techno, but it's synthwave. it's in that range. Yeah, synthwave. That's exactly it. Let's talk about Cyberpunk for a second. We were originally going to record on Thursday, <laughs> and that's what I told Jamie. And then I told we moved moved it to Friday, and he was like, "Oh, is that because Cyberpunk comes out on Thursday?" <laughs> and I was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> um, <laughs> so I looked it up, and I found this like it's satirical, but I found this article from uh, the Hard Times the online uh, <laughs> magazine that's called Review Cyberpunk 2077 is a perfect game, is what I must say to make sure the abused workers get their bonuses. <laughs> so, I mean, this was interesting for me because I got to read about, about like deadlines for much-heralded games. Here's the, the crux of the article. Brutal, crunch-filled development cycles have become an unfortunate staple of major AAA video <laughs> games. The latest perpetrator of this is a CD Project Red, the illustrious Polish game studio behind the hotly anticipated Cyberpunk 2077. Although the studio promised not to crunch their employees at the beginning of 2020, mandatory six-day work weeks have been enforced in recent months to ensure the game meets the thrice-delayed release date. Was it worth it, Jamie, to put all those pe- poor people? <laughs> I, I would, you know what? I would say it is worth it. There's still a lot of bugs. It's not. That's. It's not a perfect game. I'll Labor that, violations but... are always worth it. Just ask every animation always studio. What is every Poland game for? Studio. I think if you play the game, you can definitely see the amount of work that went into it. You know, it's 
I haven't seen any other game that that really throws you into like a city and makes you feel like you're in a city. You know, you you take like GTA for example, and you're you're like, oh, this is a big city, but there's like one or two people on the sidewalk. Like, what's going on? And right. here in Cyberpunk, it's like literally the streets are filled with people. <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077 fact is it was designed to give people seizures. It was designed to give people seizures? That can't well, be. On purpose. There's, there's <laughs> they, a lot of flashing lights. And they they designed the flashing lights to like be the exact frequency that activate people's seizures because, I don't know, what's wrong with them? But they patched it. Uh, uh, but this it is, is like that one, that one idea that like they thought it was great and then they're like, oh... <laughs> Yeah, it is based on a tabletop role-playing game from, I think, the late 80s, so it's, it's relevant for long-running tabletop IP. Ted, what a good transition. Isn't so, it, though? <laughs> I, I, I asked um, so Liz, who has a, a theater background. Liz, you, do you, you teach theater as well, right? I do, yes. Teach high school drama. Um, it's been interesting because we went full remote at the beginning of the year, and then we did 19 days of hybrid teaching before they decided to not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we went back to full remote. So teaching theater and producing the fall play in a digital medium was a new experience for everybody. But Sounds dystopic. Yeah. Um, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so I asked her, so before all, all of our games... Sessions? I don't know. Liz Sessions. kind of leads, leads us Episodes. Through. I don't have the right word. Do you have a, a correct term for this, kind of, Liz? For what you're doing? It's kind of a mesh of, of, of kind of medita- guided meditation and breathing exercises and stuff. It's more of really, in my... The kind of way I describe it is more just like a, a centering exercise. Because we all bring in a lot of stuff from the week. A lot more now because of just, you know the general apocalypse. For me, at least when, I, when I'm when i teaching my students, when I'm uh, directing actors, when I'm doing D&D, um, and I have players at the table, I like to do kind of a centering, focusing exercise so that it gives everybody the opportunity to kind of take any baggage they're holding on to when they get to the table or the stage and, and just kind of put it aside, right? We can't ever make that all go away. But if you're not centered and, and, and present with what you're doing, then it's going to take away from the experience. So I like to I like to, to do that. It's also a good way for me as like the DM to kind of check in with everybody and their characters and see where everybody's head's at as well. So it's a really useful tool for me. Welcome, gentle listeners. The first step of this process is super easy. Uh, involves closing your eyes and start focusing on taking nice deep breaths, drawing the air in and then all the way through your lungs and kind of expanding, breathing into your back and down into your diaphragm, letting all that air really fill up and stretch out. I want you to think about anything that's stressing you out this week as you're breathing in. Take a second and hold on to that feeling. And on this exhale, think about sending it outside of the room. Keep breathing. Now that we've gotten a little bit of that stress out of the way, you're a little more present. Find places in your body as you breathe that maybe you didn't notice. And on the next big inhale in, I want you to think of something good that happened this week. Your favorite coffee was perfect today, this week. You got a new jacket, got a promotion, anything really. And on the exhale, think of someone who needs that energy and just think about sending it right to them. This is kind of the part of this kind of guided exercise. It turns into kind of a choose your own adventure a little bit, depending on what I'm thinking about that week as the DM. Sometimes this portion can be parts of the plot or the story of our campaign that 
I want to express in a manner that's a little more linear. Sometimes it's something about the characters that I am curious about. Sometimes the wind blows west and I get a crazy idea and I want to run them through it. For this first bit here, just kind of picture yourself. Imagine yourself just standing there in a nice, neutral, relaxed frame. And you're going to scan yourself all the way down from the top of the head to your bottom of your feet. What do you look like when you're perfectly centered? What are you wearing? How does your face look? How are you standing when you feel relaxed and comfortable? Do you lean on one hip? What are you doing? What does that look like? Think about going kind of from this third person looking at yourself. And then on that exhale, you find yourself back in a first person viewpoint. You find yourself in a forest. It's a beautiful forest, sunny day, temperature's just right. Sun is kind of coming through the canopy and just speckling this forest around you with light. Take a look around. As you look up, you can see pinpricks of the sky through the canopy. Really listen in your mind's eye. What do you hear? What does this forest sound like to you? Is it quiet? Is it peaceful? Is there chatter? You start walking through this forest. As you take the curves of this path, you look over to your right and you find you have a companion. Who is it? What do they look like? What is their relation to you? You turn the bend kind of to the right, find yourself in a little bit of a clearing and you see before you an animal. What does it look like? How big is it? And what is that animal doing? How is it behaving? And what do you do? Go ahead and open your eyes. The companion you are with is kind of who is the most important person in your life right now, or one of the most important people in your life right now, whether that's good or bad. The animal you come across kind of represents your problem and kind of how you view them. So if the animal was kind of small and cute and friendly, you kind of don't see your problems generally in your life as something that's scary. If how the animal behaves and how you interact with the animal is kind of how you interact with your problems. So if you came around the corner and there was a big bear, and you ran away, that says something completely different than if you come around the corner, it's cute little bunny, and you go give it a pet. I really enjoy doing this with the players because you kind of start learning things about your character that maybe maybe you weren't thinking before. You don't have a chance to overthink things because you don't know what I'm going to say. I think She's my back. microphone just stopped working. My USB mic. Sorry about that. Did you try unplugging it and setting it on fire and plugging it back in? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, your computer must really hate you. Did you like pull Mountain Dew on it or something? <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that a thing? No, it's on Star Wars. Damn, that's real old. Ted. He's been saying it ever since I said we're doing a games episode. <laughs> games. Uh, I don't have like a history of playing computer games. My history of comp- computer games is watching my brother play Black and White. Do you guys know that game? Did you guys ever play that one? That one was so oh, fun. Oh, is that to watch. the one where you? You're, you play a god or something, and you have a little pet. Yeah, but I, I enjoyed watching all these movies. You don't, you don't have to care about video games to be able to, to enjoy them. Most of them aren't about video games. Okay, so I tried to make some order and some categories to these movies that we watched. So the first one is gaming movies that are about hunting people for sport. Then that's a, the ultimate is, game. <laughs> yeah. Then there is... It's the one that's getting a little too close to comfort. Virtual reality is reality aka escaping your crappy world then the third category is oh no this is actually real life fourth category is wow isn't this new computer internet technology amazing i bet nothing (laughs) will go wrong with this oh no something went wrong with this uh fifth fifth category is literal war games aka football in place of war and murder and then the sixth category is 70s and 80s movies that take roller skating way too seriously (laughs) yeah it's a it's a thorough show this week (laughs) we've got a lot to cover i mean there's definitely some overlap i think between categories two and three and overlap between categories five and one it's an it's imperfect it's an imperfect system 
Yeah, I mean, before oh. we put together this list, I really didn't realize how many movies have the same theme. One game being inexplicably central to the entire like structure of a society. I mean, my last and my overarching thesis in all of this is that all of these movies are about societal control. All game movies are about societal control. Prove me wrong, Ted. I guess that's a disprovable thesis, but I don't know what the... <laughs> I go around it. Just have to make sure we're doing science here. Hunting people for sport. Let's talk about the very first one of those, or the the one that kind of set the standard. The tenth victim. It sounded very much like a, another movie that I've seen a long time ago. Who who's that comedian who plays the the bad guy in Spawn? John Leguizamo. There was a movie where he was being hunted by someone. Oh, That's the, the movie that I- the pest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh no, I'm really you know Johnny Likes is great. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty good comedy about uh, hunting people. Yeah, it's not one of Johnny Likes' uh, serious roles. Also, sort of a similar film from the early 2000s. I think it's Canadian. It's kind of low budget. It's about like a reality TV show where people hunt each other. Will Arnett plays the host in it. This is like pre-Arrested Development. Well, the original, yeah. The 10th Victim, is a real bouncy, fun movie. 1965. It's Italian, but you should watch the English dub. <laughs> Point is, is that it kind of sets the tone of this is a society where all war and actual murder has been eradicated because they allow people to murder each other. For millions of dollars, for fame and fortune. Only a select group of people, 10 people. There's a yearly hunt, and so there are 20 contestants, and one person will win it all. Yeah, and you can be both the hunter and the hunted, and if you do it like 10 times, then you're out of it forever. Everyone gets their assignment from a big like mainframe computer sitting in an empty room somewhere in Geneva or whatever. The hunters also become big stars. So the movie increasingly, as it goes on, it increasingly becomes about how... The people trying to kill each other are also doing it for marketing stunts. Yeah, they're doing commercials. They're just trying to get endorsements, trying to get sponsored. There's a lot of great like 60s costumes and good use of modernist Italian architecture for weird sets. And as we mentioned earlier, it was a big influence on Mike Myers for Austin Powers. So, you know, if you're an Austin Powers diehard, check out Tenth Victim. I mean, it's definitely a comedy about shooting people. Like, a lot of people get shot, but nobody, like, no blood spurts out of anyone's chest or anything. If you get shot, you just fall down. And then maybe your tongue lolls out of your mouth (laughs) because you're dead. (laughs) Yeah, several of the characters seem to die multiple times. (laughs) What about running the running man? That was, I had never seen the running man before. And, oh boy, excellent. And it's just one of those ones that's, like, a little harder to watch these days. It's one of those movies that kind of slaps a little differently these days. We're we're starting to get into that area where things are set in the distant future. The distant future is now (laughs) Uh, in a lot of these movies when they get set. So now when you watch a movie where it's like the distant future is like 2019, 2020. I guess. Okay. So it's based off of a Stephen King book, but he wrote it as uh, under a pseudonym. Brendan was saying the book is really good and that in the book, there's a lot more nuance, <laughs> like societal nuance. <laughs> sure. That's surprise. I would say it was definitely harder this time around, but not because of the year, mostly because of the whole, he needed like all these one-liners that were all cheesy, and it was just like very hard <laughs> to kind of get around, you know? 
when you know when when that dude's like burning up and it's like oh you know you're hot or something it's like it, it was a little it was a little tongue-in-cheek for me a little too much you want some gritty realism with your arnold schwarzenegger action <laughs> i just i i just think movies i mean that's amazing now for very different oh I disagree. Did you watch Ready Player One? Because I took a bullet and I watched that movie for oh, no. this show. Why, Why did you I do that? Did, Nobody told you to do it. that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it when it came out. I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining. Okay, it's the exact same dialogue. It's literally <laughs> all the same cheesy, one-linery, moving plot along like, oh, I'm in love with you now. Like, okay, what? When did that happen? That was quick. I mean, isn't the whole point of that movie to quote a bunch of 80s movies directly? It succeeded. It's a wild I, success. Maybe I don't remember it the same way, but... <laughs> I mean, he remembers the gritty realism. <laughs> Running Man isn't exactly a um, yeah, subtle societal critique, but for 87, it's, it kind of predicts, um, you know, reality TV being being a huge thing, which, you know, <laughs> films have been doing that in the 70s as well, so it's not exactly completely groundbreaking that it did it, but it still feels like, yep, this is what the early 2000s was going to be like. Not quite as murdery, but... I mean, have you... If you look at the news, it's kind of like that. <laughs> also, some great cameos. Uh, Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac is in this. Jesse what? Ventura. Dweezil Zappa. Doesn't yeah. Mick Fleetwood also have a cameo in a Star Trek Next Generation? Stevie. Oh, yeah. He's, he's in a big fish costume, so you don't know it's him at all. <laughs> virtual reality is reality. Jamie, I know that we talked about this earlier that you were very annoyed that you had to watch Existence. Uh, it wasn't oh, it no. was not your not your type of movie. <laughs> I wasn't annoyed that I had to watch it. I was annoyed that I had to sit through it. <laughs> Getting it started was no problem. Oh. <laughs> Existence is a very polarizing film. Some people even like Cronenberg thinks it's a huge misstep. Some people think it's aged terribly. Some people think it's underappreciated and kind of prophetic. I like it a lot. I, I don't know how prophetic it is, but I just think it's a cool, <laughs> cool idea of uh, people are playing this totally immersive game and it just messes with their heads. A little bit of extra Cronenberg body horror, like you have to plug in uh, this cable to a port in your body yeah that guy is Good so stuff. weird that man is such a weirdo <laughs> after i saw that movie i immediately thought about another movie i've seen a long time ago and that was the 13th floor and i'm not sure if you guys have seen it yeah but, i remember that one which i think is a good movie but it's you know it has a happier ending than existence. So. <laughs> I enjoy his take on stuff, but I felt like this was like a little bit reactionary. Uh, existence. <laughs> is it saying that video game violence is real violence? Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of existence sort of felt like a retread of Videodrome, like the whole mm -hmm. death to existence thing. Seemed like just, yeah. yeah, this is 
the death to Videodrome again, but it also felt like sort of a precursor and better version of Inception. I'd see that. Yeah. I agree. It was definitely, you know, turtles on turtles on turtles all the way down, <laughs> which was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. Obviously, we're nowhere close to video games or any form of entertainment being indistinguishable from real life in the way that he suggested in Existence, but uh, certainly, like, the dopamine loops and uh, reward systems that people get from video games can become more real than the ones that they have in the rest of their lives. Ready Player One kind of celebrates that. It's actually kind of a a really depressing story because this nostalgia fest, isn't it great that we're living in this world where you can literally do everything? But like, why are we not doing anything to better our world? Like, it's so, it's like, oh, we've just given up. We've just given up and now we're all... It's It's like if the Matrix, all of the Matrix was was just, wow, isn't it great that these computers gave us this better world where we can do (laughs) what we want? That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, and it's cool to watch as like a as like a, a viewer but it's it's not much of a message which i don't think it's trying to be to be honest so yeah if you want a movie with a message go back and watch jupiter ascending <laughs> 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 it's the previous episode check it out at lastrefugepod.com <laughs> yes <laughs> kind of fits into the first one which is more like oh no this is actually real life type situation or like this game having some real life consequences i put tron on there i don't know if tron fits there but war games definitely does war games a movie about matthew broderick and a guy who really likes dinosaurs and also a computer i think that was the on the poster for that movie is what i just quoted (laughs) wait where did the dinosaurs come in he the like, guy who invented the super intelligent computer retreats to solitude and uh, just gets really obsessed with dinosaurs and said, you know, they were a great species. They had a good run. And oh, right, right. then they all died. So <laughs> sometimes humans also all got all, got all die. Yeah. And then Matthew Broderick says, no, it saves humanity. Yeah, I had never seen war games. And I think it's remembered as like an anti-nuclear war classic. And I think that's what it's meant to be. But the thing is... And this is sort of intrinsic to the whole theory of mutually assured destruction, is that it kind of says, like, see, the system works. Mutually assured destruction is this whole paradox where you have to credibly be able to present yourself like you're going to kill everything, but also know that you're never going to do it. And that's what happens. There's this computer that's going to destroy uh, the world with nuclear weapons because it thinks it's playing this game and that's what it was programmed to. But the people don't actually want to do it. And then when they teach the computer the meaning of futility, it also <laughs> doesn't do it. So nuclear war is prevented. Great power war is still prevented. The system works. Happy ending. Um, like a nerd from Seattle uh, got the girl and a friendly computer has been taught the meaning of like it's been made more human or something. A cranky old scientist uh, <laughs> comes is, out of retirement. Yeah, <laughs> it's a new lease on life. Ending there. Um. <laughs> this isn't to knock it. I think it's a really, really enjoyable movie. If yeah, you guys yeah. Have never seen mm. it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a good movie. It kind of reminded me a little bit of a. Uh, Ender's Game too. This like young upstart, young upstart genius. Yeah. Ender's Game. Just I don't remember a game. it. Yeah, right. Because oh, mm-hmm. in the first, in the first series or in the first book, 
Ender is playing a game, right? That's how they train them for war. Is that the whole deal? I think it's the same idea. It's like running simulations for kids. Right. So Yeah, I mean, in Ender's game, they're training these kids to play this, uh, to fight this war, direct the ships that are going to be engaged in it, and then they tell them, oh, you were actually directing them. We, yeah. We're already <laughs> into that alien planet. You killed them all. Congratulations. Um, I mean, that's a very real-world applicable situation our new drone warfare yeah i mean we don't trick anyone to think that they're <laughs> playing a game when they're actually piloting a drone in <laughs> afghanistan i don't think not that no it's been unclassified but um, it does distance you from the actual murder mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. like playing like a video game almost Kind of, except those drone pilots actually have very high rates of PTSD. So oh, really? It distances you, but it also can can also be quite more intimate than being on the ground because you'll be you're just flying drones over people in another country day after day after day. So you're watching them mm-hmm. all the time. And then sometimes you drop bombs on them, which can be why it can be quite traumatic for some of the pilots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in Ender's Game, these kids are just being straight up manipulated into pursuing this military goal. Whereas in war games, it's like charming young Matthew Broderick, Broderick is <laughs> like... A kid from outside the system who shows the system its own weakness by he's accident. A cool hacker. But yeah, yeah, he's an accidental <laughs> white hat. I made this other category, which may or may not be another category, but this whole idea that like these movies that were coming out with this new internet technology, it's so cool, it's so amazing, nothing's gonna go wrong. Oh no, something mm-hmm. went wrong. <laughs> yeah, both war games. And Tron are yeah. examples of how, like over and over again, games become kind of the window through which society as a whole starts to be exposed to and understand or misunderstand new technologies. The, the power, the true power of computers, which, by the way, I feel like they really did not do their research on computing technology for war games. It just <laughs> felt highly impractical oh. that like this, that they wouldn't be able to just shut down this computer. <laughs> Tron has a much more believable story of how a computer program just gradually absorbs <laughs> all of the computer programs until it becomes so powerful <laughs> that it locks out its users. Uh, but that movie's great. I mean, what a blast Tron is. It, it's yeah. so incredible, the cutting-edge computer graphics they were making. It really, it really is very impressive. Yeah, for the amount of computing power they had to make graphics, they did a great job of just using what they did have to maximum effect. Incredible. Part of that is by using, like, matte paintings and stuff, and, like, just non-computerized techniques. But yeah, even if Tron has kind of a, you know, not the most complex plot in the world, uh, it still looks fantastic. That's a funny, charming idea that there's a secret society inside your computer of <laughs> who programs you who as a play God. each other and say, what? <laughs> you don't believe in users, do you? And it's got young, handsome <laughs> Jeff Bridges, which is always uh, Yeah, he's pretty charming. I mean, he's no Matthew yeah. Broderick, but, you know, he's different kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would say sometimes, like, you know, sometimes a simpler, more straightforward plot can be beneficial when especially, uh, in this case, part of, part of the draw, at least for me, of this movie is just the visual, is, is the visualness landscape. of it. Yeah. Um, landscape. Thank you. I'm like, there's a better word. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Ness. 
you know, maybe something <laughs> that's not too complex works well in tandem with that. Did you guys watch that remake that they yeah. made? That was trash. There was actually a sequel. Oh, was it a sequel? That's yeah. Right, yeah, Jeff Son Bridges of Jeff Bridges. Older. Oh, yeah, and he's all evil. <laughs> That's why he's yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> plot of the original Tron is basically, it's like Ben-Hur for kids inside a computer. The computer programs that believe that users exist and are their creators are like persecuted Christians who get thrown into Colosseum games to kill them. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a neon metropolis, Fritz Lang's metropolis. Oh, yeah, uh, especially yeah. That, that city in the yeah. middle. Yeah, totally. The outside plot is about a big company taking your intellectual property and profiting off of it. Right, abusing so, its uh, video game developers. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Disney Corporation, for that story. <laughs> <laughs> roller skating movies that we can just mention mm-hmm. that I, I feel like are worth mentioning we've already talked about solar babies solar babies if you guys don't know I think mel brooks produced yes <laughs> he's most famous for producing solar babies <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't watch rollerball but that's what james con right good worth it should i watch it i had never seen rollerball until yesterday and it was strange in ways i didn't expect i expected it to just be a you know wacky future sport movie which it is but it's also just kind of a moody almost impressionistic movie about like a future that's where basically a few corporations run the world and they're each based in one city so like the rollerball team we we follow is based in houston which is owned Mm -hmm. by the energy corporation (laughs) (laughs) energy equals genius and everybody lives a fairly comfortable life but the executives make all the decisions, including like James Kahn. His first sort of resentment is that after a couple of years, they just took his wife away. It's like, no, your wife's been assigned to uh, someone else in Switzerland. Sorry, but we get, we'll get you a new one. And then they want him to retire because rollerball is the most important sport, but nobody can get that good at it or famous because that erodes the meaning of the sport. <laughs> so it's just a film about one man refusing to retire because he has to accomplish something. <laughs> There's a lot of great 70s typography. There's a lot of great 70s interiors, brown earth tone outfits. And There's a 2002 remake, isn't there, with American Pie actor Chris Klein, also LL yeah, Cool Chris J. Klein. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the one where yeah. LL Cool J du- during the talk show circuit afterward he said, "Yeah, that movie sucked, but I was in it." <laughs> yeah. Well, that movie. So it's directed by the guy who made like Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, a lot of successful movies. And he went, not only is the rollerball remake awful, he went to jail, federal prison for a year because he hired a private investigator to wiretap his co-producer for that movie because they had like disagreements over the direction it should take. So it's like, (laughs) I need to know what he's doing. Uh, Oh, no. This is the movie we got to see is the behind the scenes of Rollerball 2000. So I have not seen it, but worth it. It seems to have been so bad that it ruined the director's life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was his fault. I, I liked Existence. I just thought it was really... There was, there was parts of it that was really weird. Like, 
the controller being like this organic thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But I mean that's that a, that a lot of flesh pods. <clears throat> yeah, that yeah. that's just Cronenberg being Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The yeah, bones totally. and teeth gun. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. cool. Yeah, that's I think my number one fave. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I remembered liking from Existence and that I still liked now. It's hard to imagine David Cronenberg ever having played a video game somehow. <laughs> Yet Existence really gets down well, like how non-player characters talk in video games <laughs> and how they're stuck on these short little loops. It puts that with real human actors and it's just very uncanny Um, oh that's what i was reading that he he decided to write it because salman rushdie was um there was like a fatwa against him and he was like wouldn't it be interesting if there was a fatwa against a video game maker that's (laughs) that's such a weird reason to make the movie existence (laughs) i know right (laughs) But it kind of makes me think that he that maybe to Cronenberg, that's just a game. one logical step. <laughs> yeah, another great thing about Existence is this thing happens that often happens when British actors do American accents is that they come out Canadian. Though oh, in this yes. case, in this case, Jude Law was so Canadian, I think he might have been doing it on purpose. Like he might, his character so, may have been like Canadian. A, but a homage to Cronenberg, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and also they're filmed in Canada, right? All of his movies. They so maybe be. he's just even from the first room you see in Existence, it's such a Cronenberg room. Oh, Jennifer Jason Leigh gives such the like weirdest performance. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a highlight. I don't know why that yeah. character needs to be that weird, but yeah, if you were gonna <laughs> oh, be a person who like executed a fatwa against a video game developer, you'd probably be pretty weird. I think that at like it wasn't until the end. So I was watching this movie, and then there's this like forced romance, and I was like, "What? Why is this happening? There's no, I don't what." And then you get to the end, and you're like, "Oh, the romance is there because they're thinking it." Gotcha. Thank you, Because <laughs> it felt like the romances, you know, with like the running man and Ready Player One, where you're just like, ah, it's, nobody's falling in love that quick. Or Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> oh, I'm going to keep yeah, every no. episode now. <laughs> I mean, if you saw Channing Tatum as a literal yeah. wolf, you too would fall in love with him, yeah. Moses. If you love dogs as much as me, like <laughs> I learned of a new game today that I wanted to mention. See, anybody had heard of it yet? There's like a Studio Ghibli game called Ni no Kuni. Have you guys heard of that? Is it worth it? Should I play it? Oh, no, but I'm going to Google it right now. Or not an old game, but it's it's been around for a while. It has been around for a while, but apparently there's like a a Switch version now. If I remember, it's kind of like Pokemon. Yeah, that's what my friend Tom was saying. He's like, it's like Pokemon, but prettier. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to bring this back to my original thesis. I think all of these games in some way are about societal control. Oh, movies. (laughs) Movies No, no. All these games are about movies, is what I'm saying. (laughs) All these games. All all movies that have like game as like their, as their like, What's their word? Their ness. Uh, yeah. Anyway, all of these movies, I think, in some sense, are about how do we use games either as you know the circus part of Bread and Circus, or as a way to make sure people aren't murdering each other, or right, as a, a release, like, an escape, yeah, as a release, a way to escapism, suppress. yeah, yeah. And yet, in so many of these, 
the this big this game that forms the central spectacle of the society becomes the way that the society is controlled and the way that the society can be transformed like over and over again it's if one person is just good enough at this game Mm -hmm. then they're gonna break the system wide open i wonder i mean these are all like american movies except for i guess cronenberg which cronenberg's the only one that has a very unhappy ending right i feel like all the other ones have a really happy ending at the end this like individualistic sense of you could beat the game maybe you and a few friends come together and beat the game or whatever (laughs) i guess also the 10th victim isn't like a particularly happy ending the 10th victim goes through so many like trick endings that um, it's hard to tell what it's saying at the end i have a plan but i'll need a very attractive man (laughs) (laughs) i think that was one of my favorite lines for that the idea of killing someone for publicity has always amused me (laughs) Um, that's one of my favorites uh a little wikipedia corner detail about rollerball a movie only i watched apparently Is that so? They were so the actual game rollerball. It's in like a velodrome sort of thing, and like some of the team are on rollerblades and some of the team are on motorcycles. Like watching it, you think like there's no way people aren't dying playing it, but you also <laughs> feel like there's no way actual stunt people didn't die. Um, yeah, playing it. Oops, did they uh, die? I don't think so. Not that I've seen. That's not what this Wikipedia corner is about. So it's 1975, so... Yeah. Well, it was one of the first films to give, like, on-screen credits to the stunt people, just because they're such a big part of how the movie works. But they went on to uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports to promote it uh, with, like, Howard Cosell and explain the rules of the game. Everybody was so excited about this fictional game that a lot of people contacted them like promoters contacted them trying to get the rights to actually play rollerball and uh the director uh norman jewison was outraged as the entire point of the movie was to show (laughs) quote the sickness and insanity of contact sports and their allure (laughs) (laughs) i i went on a a internet deep dive because i was trying to figure out why there was this like rush of films around that time that feature roller skating. So I was like, what is going on in the seventies <laughs> and eighties? So I went on a deep dive on some website that gave me a history of roller skating. And I guess around the seventies, they just had like better indoor courts. Like they were like putting in vinyl flooring. And so people were starting to realize like you could go fast and you could do really exciting things on roller skates. I don't know. I mean, we grew up in the 90s. Like I remember when, what are they called? Roller blades. Blading mm-hmm. was like really cool and like was ubiquitous and everywhere. It's still cool, Gal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I brought my roller blades to college thinking, oh, I'm going to roller blade. <laughs> I'm going to roller oh, yeah. blade around. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like people are trying to bring uh, rollerblading back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people in New York. Yeah. Yeah. My hairdresser, the woman that cuts my hair. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Sound like I'm like a 70s housewife. Um, The woman that cuts my hair is really into roller skating, like trick roller skating. I feel like that's coming back. You're in the middle of a disco revival, so you gotta have all the pieces. Games are ideologically ambiguous. <laughs> our conclusion. Yeah, if you listened to this episode hoping for some deep dives into some academic research, uh, whoops. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tune in next week when we talk about renewable energy with an actual person that uh, works in yeah, that. Yeah, take field. that, guests. <laughs> <laughs> take that, current guests. <laughs> no, this is all I can't wait for that's next so much week. more in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Yeah, renewable energy. Oh yeah, oh, we yeah. haven't talked about the book we read at all. Tell us about it, Moses. Should we do that? <laughs> it explores the very thesis that Gall was talking about earlier of games in society. What's the re- relationship? And so the the culture series is a book that explores huge galaxy civilizations. And so this one is the second in the series. And a bunch of them you can read kind of standalone. This is about a guy who lives in this society who's really good at games. He's just the best game player. And then they find this world where it's this imperial world, this empire that is, seems kind of archaic by these super future standards. Like, how is this uh, old society kind of staying together? And it's because the whole society is built around this incredibly complicated game that incorporates all of their beliefs, like the social mm-hmm. dynamics and their philosophies and aggressions. And the the power dynamics, because this world has three genders and one of them is like the dominant gender and the other two are subservient to it. It's so incredibly complicated and, and it is in every part of this, this society on this world. And But he's an outsider. And so that's the can he learn to play it is the thing. When I read the premise of the book, I thought it was going to be like, oh, wow, here's a society that, you know, uses this game as events kind of like we were talking about earlier and gets all his violent impulses out through the game and lets the game sublimate all these other things but no it's a just an incredibly vicious violent society the game itself is not about violence it's about strategy and all this other stuff the society that it's a part of is has just as much violence and inequality and and horrible things so the game isn't help and somehow the the game is adding a cohesion to that it's helping the powerful stay in power the main character gurga gurga oh yeah there's also a character who's the who's the main antagonist because it sounds like martin screlly but <laughs> oh the uh the droid yeah yeah the, the yeah the drone the the robots in this book are also great because they're just yeah. so mean to each other they hate each other <laughs> the games master gets sent to the society thinks he's been sort of set up to lose and then just basically decides to win out of spite <laughs> yeah <laughs> Basically, Spike uh, can be one of the best motivators. Yeah. So. yeah, and the and the winner of the big tournament then becomes emperor of this world, and he ends up going up against the emperor in the end. And it's like, what? Well, and and so that is like kind of the cool. That was a great way to end the book. I'll just spoil it for everyone. Why not? Is that he's playing against <laughs> the emperor, who's really is the best at this game, and the our our hero Gurga is playing against him, and he's doing pretty well. And then he realizes, like, oh my god, there's such an in- intricate pattern that's truly is reflecting our two societies it's like a beautiful work of art like no other kind of art could convey all the the subtlety and nuance uh, of all these things that's the reason this game has to exist and it's so complicated and so they take a break and he goes to like talk to the emperor later and the emperor confronts him and he tries to say like you know i really have enjoyed like playing this game with you and making this piece together and the emperor is like you puny little worm how dare you this game is about war and conquering and you've perverted it by making it romantic and artistic i will i'm so mad that i'm going to destroy my entire society i guess i have to read it now one last time if you just listen to this entire show and thought to yourself, hang on a second, weren't they supposed to play music? Well now, you're listening 
to the podcast edit of this show. If you want to listen to the music, go to lastyourrefugepod.com. You can find a playlist of all the music that we play and links to the Mixcloud and all that good stuff. And um, enjoy. Thanks for being on the show. Liz, do you want to plug yourself as a DM? I work in the restaurant industry is one of my other jobs and that's had a bit of a hard time but i'm rolling out some stuff here pretty soon i help dm one shots and two shots things like that uh but i'm also rolling out kind of a crash course character 101 creation learning how to character build and then we'll walk that character through a really short one shot that'll kind of touch on all the things you'll need when you get started because you know one of the scariest things about D is that it's a lot and that's the feedback yeah. I hear the most. My email address is dmlizneu at gmail.com. So D-M-L-I-Z-N-E-U at gmail.com. Um, if you want to learn, get started, uh, you have a group of friends, but no DM, anything like that, shoot me a line. And if I can't help you, I can definitely put you in touch with someone who can. And there's lots of people out there who are absurdly passionate about this game. So if you're nervous about getting started, don't be. There are so many resources out there. We can get you hooked up with the right thing. The, the game is Dungeons & Dragons, in case that dropped out also. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the game is Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I can also help with, you know, lots of other tabletop options out there. So we can find you something. Yeah, I can, I can vouch for Liz, too. She's a really um, accommodating DM or game master. <laughs> saying the word dungeon master makes you uncomfortable. How does the dragon get in the dungeon? Because it seems like <laughs> that would be way too small. <laughs> that, lots and lots of determination. Your, your um, imagination for dungeons is just pathetically limited. We have imagination and fantasy for everything except that one question. <laughs> because Nobody it's not called Dungeons and Dragons. They can be just separate. There's a dungeon here and there's a dragon It's just there. like a dungeon next to the Never dragon. the twain, they'll show me. Yeah, it's not called Dungeons in Dragons. Yeah. It's over-interpreting. Hold Moron. on, there's a dungeon inside the dragon? Got, re- <laughs> got really meta. Dragons All right, Jamie, dungeon. what do you got to plug? <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other podcasts? <laughs> Uh, no, this is actually the first time I've been on. You're on the radio. Live on the radio and... You're not live, 91. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody alive like is listening be. to the radio. Um, 91.9 FM, Santa Barbara. No, Jamie's just plugging Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah, get those get those people a union. <laughs> it's a workers' revolution, guys. Uh, so Man, next I week. think those guys are still, still working. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. so kind many songs in the game. <laughs> yeah, they didn't get their bonuses. Next Jamie, week, plug harder. Renewable get them their bonuses. <laughs> <laughs> Next week we're doing renewable energy, and we're reading some books for that. You can check them out. Cool War, Ecotopia, Energize. Check out our website, lastrefugepod.com. I try to make it as detailed and full of information for you as possible. Send us an email at the last refuge of the incompetent at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail. 805-253-3091, even though I doubt you are going to. I hope that you Oh, that tonight. was something I liked in oh. the 10th the victim was uh, <laughs> they had mobile phones, 1965, 
So it was a phone you could take around anywhere, no cord, but it still had a big rotary dial at the bottom. <laughs> so call us on your rotary dial. Call us on your rotary phone. mobile phone. <laughs> and uh, I hope when you go to bed tonight that you wake up the next morning and you're not stuck in a virtual reality experience and you are in reality, or unless you want to be. I don't know. It's up to you. Yeah, your move. Sweet dreams, computers. Thanks. Thanks,